It'll all be beautiful and perfect. And then I'll die. That's what's going on. <laughs> How about that for a little optimism this morning? Okay. All right. Well, we, uh, we have printed in your bulletin, so follow along with me. Listen to the word of God. Hear these words of Jesus. I have come to cast fire upon the earth, and how I wish it was already ablaze. I have a baptism of which I am to be baptized, and what constraint I am under until it is completed. Do you think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, five in one household will be divided, three against two, two against three. They will be divided. Father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say, it's going to rain, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be a scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? May God bless the hearing and the reading of his holy word. Let's pray. Lord, open up our eyes and our hearts that through your word proclaimed we may encounter you, the living word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be more familiar with the old translation of this text. You know how to interpret the weather, but you do not know how to interpret the signs of the time. Which I think particularly, I don't know, living in Vermont, if we're able to predict the weather either when it comes down to it. <laughs> Tom Sign uh, was, is a really important thinker. And he wrote a book years ago that had a great influence on me. It was called The Mustard, si Mustard Seed Conspiracy. And he tells this story at the beginning of the book. He lives in the Pacific, he lives in the Pacific Northwest. And they went out hunting for mushrooms. And they had this really great day of finding all these exotic mushrooms. And so they invited some of their friends over and they created all kinds of dishes, uh, different gourmet dishes with mushrooms and just had a wonderful feast. As they were going out in the kitchen to wash the dishes, they, they saw one of the mushrooms had fallen on the floor, it was half eaten, and their cat was in the corner, foaming at the mouth and writhing in pain. Thought, oh my goodness. So they rush everybody to the hospital. Everybody gets their stomach pumped. And um, I don't know if you've ever had your stomach pumped. Uh, I've not, but, but I've had other people. I've done it to other people. Uh, that's what, yeah, I had this one high school kid always called me in the middle of the night, said that she was going to kill herself. So I had her stomach pumped, and that ended, uh, her doing that. She, um, and she wasn't really trying to kill herself. But uh, she's, and by the way, she's okay now. That's good news, right? But anyway, they come back from having their stomach pumped, and they're wiped out. And they walk into the kitchen expecting to find a dead cat. Instead, they found the mother cat with a litter of kittens. Kind of important to figure out what's going on, isn't it, right? Reading the signs. You know, Jesus tells us that we need to be aware of what's going around us. And therefore, so that we may interpret, decide, and then act accordingly. And this may be a passage you may not be aware of, but he, he announces he's not just come to bring peace. He does offer us peace, 
that his message will create division. And there is a dimension of judgment to what Jesus says. That's with the fire. I brought fire to the world. And the illusion of my baptism is, is predicting his death, his suffering, and his crucifixion. We need to remember that Jesus died a violent death because what he stood for, what he said, made the world, made the people, made the powers and the crowds turn against him. The violence of Jesus' death is a reminder that the threat that Jesus and his message brings to religions that are complacent, to societies that are content in their corruption and violence. I read this morning that so far in 2023, we have had 200 mass shootings in this country. But the beat goes on, doesn't it, right? That's not what we're worried about, apparently, if you read what our governments are doing. The goal of the Christian life is not to be nice and to get along with everyone and do a few good deeds. Sometimes that's what it's been reduced to, right? Rather, it is a message of radical love, of God for us, of God for the world, and in turn, for us to live in that radical love and to be a conduit of it to the world. To, do, to follow Jesus is to do what loving God requires. And that will often put us at cross purposes with others. I've said this before, but a lot of what gets promoted in this country is good Christian values are really good second century pagan Roman values, right? And this passage creates a disturbing scenario of family conflict, right? Or I guess mother-in-law against daughter-in-law. That's not so radical, right? <laughs> that's not so shocking. But we know that following Jesus in the past has divided families. I taught yesterday a church history class and there's a story of a, a third century, a courageous young woman who dies at the hands of the Roman persecution. And her father begs her to renounce the faith. And she even has to leave an infant child behind as she goes to her death. Last Sunday night, a Holocaust survivor spoke over at the synagogue, Rena Bernstein. Um, she lived in Sanuk, Poland, which I think is in, in the Ukraine now. And her father was a doctor. Her family, uh, particularly on her maternal side, had large properties and had, had done very well for themselves. And then 1939 happened. And you may not remember this, but uh, the Russians had signed a treaty with, with the Nazis. And so basically they divided Poland in half. And in the initial part of the war, she was in the, in the Russian side, but eventually, Germany conquered all of Poland. And there was a Christian machine shop, uh, he owned a little machine shop in the middle of town. And his name was, we should know his name, Yozo Zwarnov. And Yozo hid uh, Rina's mother and father and two of her uncles and an aunt in a crawl space under the floor of his machine shop, 
which was right across the street from the Gestapo headquarters and the Ukrainian militia was right beside it. And those people, he hid them throughout the war. And he took Rina and took her out into the woods to be with a cousin to live, and she was only four years old, to live out there to hide her. She told a story that one day, the woman whose brother she was living with came and said, there was a family in town that were hiding Jews and the Nazis killed the whole family. You need to take this little girl and put her out into the woods. And the woman said, I can't do that. He goes, all right, I'll come back tomorrow and I'll shoot her because we can't risk our family. To this day, this woman who's in her 80s cannot sleep through the night without medication. But Yosef came and said, no, this is not going to happen. And so she lived, and her parents and three of her aunts and uncles lived because of this courageous man who alienated his own family. Matter of fact, even after the war, he was shunned because of this risk he took. Um, but those six survived. By the way, there were 30,000 Jews in that region before the war, only 80 were alive in 1945. And six of them, because of this one man, was willing to put his own family at risk to do the right thing. I have not come to bring peace, but division. You know, Jesus is not always easy to figure out. And I think reading the signs of the time is part, in part means our actions are to be situational and proportionate. Right? We need to figure out what's going on. There's not a cookie-cutter way to always figure out what love requires in a situation. And I want to do something I don't usually do, but I want to go back to some passages I think lead up to this to help us understand. So if you want to, you can follow along with me. If not, I'll read it to you. But if we go back in chapter 9, there are these three incidents that happen right together. First of all, the disciples want to figure out who's the greatest in the kingdom, and Jesus picks up a child and says... This is the greatest. Whoever's least among you will be the greatest. And then this next scene happens. The apostle John says, we saw a man casting out demons in your name. Should we go stop him? And Jesus says that, this, do not forbid him, for whoever's not against you is for you. Okay. So one of the great things about being a follower of Jesus is that we can be generous. (laughs) Everyone doesn't have to agree with us. If people are doing good things, like this man was doing, then we can support that. So sometimes reading the room or reading the situation is that we can be generous. We need to be generous and be tolerant because there's a sense where there's not an overabundance of good being done in the world. And Jesus is saying, hey, if they're not coming after us, (laughs) if they're not against us, they're for us. He even goes on in the next passage, there's a town that won't let him come in. And disciples say, should we call fire down on this town? Jesus goes, no, let's just move on. So it's not that we've been put in this world to pick a fight. That's not what being a Christian is to be about. We are to uh, support everyone who's doing good things in the name of God or not in the name of God. And it's not our job to judge those who don't agree with us or don't want to be part of our story. But when you go further along in a couple chapters later, in chapter 11, Jesus is casting out demons. He's helping people. And some of the leaders go, 
Jesus is the devil. He's doing all this good, really, by the power of evil. And Jesus says this to them. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. So what's the difference there? It's one thing, it's one thing to be tolerant of those trying to be good. It's another thing to be tolerant for those who don't agree with us. But when those who are, are evil are doing evil things and calling it good, when those who attack good and say that it's evil, that's a line in the sand that we can't cross. I'm not sure you can negotiate with evil. And maybe we've gotten to a, we got to a time where you may not even be comfortable with using the word evil. But I don't know what you call when you purposely bomb hospitals. I don't know what you call when you take children from their homes, kill their parents, and then try to indoctrinate them. I don't know what you call it when the most powerful country in the world seems to be quite content to let our children be shot in their schools. Now, I'm not saying there's easy solutions to this. I'm just saying that I think in a lot of ways we're like the proverbial frog in the water, right? Think about it, in 1938, all right, whatever's going on in Germany, I'm sure we'll be okay here. And it can't be possibly as bad as we think it is. This possibly can't affect us. Oh good, well the Russians will be better than the Germans. We'll be protected, right? Listen, I just need to take care of my family. How in the world am I to be responsible for this four-year-old girl? She's not my responsibility. I need to protect my own. Just the heat gets a little hotter and we're boiling before we even know it. The way of Christ is truly embraced is often on a collision course with the ways of death. Vaclav Havel, the great um, playwright who was part of the freedom movement in Czechoslovakia and became its first president, says this in a book he entitled Disturbing the Peace. As soon as man began considering himself the source of the highest meaning in the world and the measure of everything, the world began to lose its human dimension and man began to lose control of it. C.S. Lewis wrote a space trilogy, which is not that is popular, some of his other stuff. And the first book takes place on Mars, and a couple academics from Earth basically bring the first murder to Mars, and they've come there to try to exploit its resources. In the second book, the hero is Professor Ransom. He's a theologist, and C.S. Lewis modeled him after his friend Tolkien. Um, and the whole story is a morality argument Ransom, Professor Ransom, 
is arguing with Professor Weston, the leading physicist of his time, who has become under the power of evil, and there is an Adam and Eve figure on the planet Venus. And Dr. Weston's trying to get her to fall and disobey God. And Ransom's trying to talk her into doing the right thing. And it's a long, the book is mostly an argument between these two professors. And at the end, the voice that represents God tells Ransom, you're going to have to stop. You're going to have to stop Weston. There's no other way. You can't reason with evil. And so the last of the book is this physical fight between the two of them. And Ransom said in the middle of the fight, the joy was finding at last what hate was made for. It's a strange quote, right? But there are things to be opposed. There are things to be hated in this world. Jesus, Jesus didn't die a violent death accidentally because he stood against the forces of violence and hate. We are called to a radical love that will put us in conflict with that which is not about love. Something as simple as the story I told you about Don, the high school kid. Because he stood up for a kid that everyone made fun of, he was ostracized. But the call upon our lives and what this meal stands for is not only the peace that God brings us, but it reminds us that the broken body of Christ, the shed blood of Christ, was because of the violence and hate of this world. Amon Hennessy was a Christian Catholic activist and he was arrested for protesting the war. And he said, I wasn't disturbing the peace, I was trying to disturb the war. <laughs> right? But sometimes, doing the right thing is disturbing the peace. Particularly if the peace is a lie. Particularly if the peace is an appeasement with evil and death. Sometimes we get more upset about the disruption in our Wi-Fi than the fact that little children go to school afraid. Sometimes we're more concerned about the interest rate than we are the death rate. As Christians, we've not come <laughs> to say everything's okay when it's not. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. I invite you to stand with me and proclaim what we believe in the words of the Apostles' Creed.